What's up everybody, this is Grant at Cause Artist. Today we are chatting with Colleen and Maggie Kleins. They are the founders of a very innovative nonprofit and social enterprise called the Onshaw Project. What the Onshaw Project is, is a innovative nonprofit using fashion and uh, textiles to create a brand that employs women that are, were formerly in sex trafficking trade. And it's, it's a really, really interesting look at how we as consumers can impact people's lives by just sort of buying things we would normally buy, but then also the real impact on employment, empowerment, opportunity for, you know, women halfway around the world. You know, if you're listening to this in America or if you are in Asia or another part of the world where you're closer to India um, or closer to where, you know, sex trafficking is, is a bit more rampant. It can be a very, very sort of dark time, obviously, for, for women involved, but also the community that's involved in it. And what the Onshaw Project has done has found a way to inspire women to and give them an opportunity really to to transition out of that part of their life and, and learn a different craft, learn a different trade and get skills to empower themselves and become sometimes even the breadwinners in their families from creating beautifully designed clothes or houseware or accessories, anything anything in that realm where we as consumers and what's what's great even greater about this is that the founders, Colleen and Maggie Kleins, they this wasn't sort of their intention. They they had no idea what you know sex trafficking was or what life was like in India for for women in this community or even textile and fashion. They were design thinking and architect majors at their respective universities. So they took those skills, which are super valuable, and then implemented that into what is now a an impact nonprofit that sort of changes the way we think of nonprofits. You know, it's, it's built like a company, like a brand, like a business. Um, and it really tries to, to scale up and, and use the same dynamics and thinking that a business leader, founders and CEOs would use um, and try to implement that into their, the nonprofit sector and, and build something that, you know, maybe a model other people can follow. So it's, look, I mean, this stuff is sometimes it can be a little bit uh, dark and depressing to think about, but what comes out on the other side of it is immense inspiration, immense creativity, and impact. And you know, changing of people's lives is very hard to do. It takes a long time. It takes patience. It takes a really good idea. It takes craftsmanship. It takes design. It takes all these different elements to to change a person's life because that is a really really big deal. And I think they sort of capture the essence of what it's like to uh, maybe we'll follow one path in life, um, but then also all of a sudden get <laughs> upended with that path you think you're going to take. And uh, really, really just your life can go in a totally different direction because you're so passionate about it, right? And there's something inside you that's pulling you to do this. And I think that's what happened with Colleen and Maggie. You know, their, their stories inspiring themselves and then the women that they are affecting and impacting is is very very impressive so i hope you you guys like this i think it, it takes us down a, a really interesting road of business uh, entrepreneurship innovative nonprofits, uh, fashion textile design all these different elements you can think of so hope you guys enjoy it have a great week thanks
Oh, yeah, really, really quick. I just want to make a, a little bit of a correction, perhaps. I mentioned uh, the term sex trafficking, and really what the Anshal Project is doing is attacking the sex trade in the local community um, in India. So I, I want to make sure I get that term right, and I want to make sure I depict what, what they're doing is to be the right thing. I know sex trafficking can be defined a little differently than maybe the sex trade. So I just wanted to make that clarification, um, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Thanks. Bye. Um, usually how I like to start is um, the journey to, to, to get there, right? And um, usually there is experiences involved, maybe travel involved. So if you want to just go through a little bit how you both sort of got intertwined and introduced to the idea of starting the Ankle Project, and using sort of fashion and accessories to to change women's lives around the world. So we had kind of parallel journeys, but a lot of uh, the origins of Anshal were born um, during my time in graduate school at Rhode Island School of Design. So I was studying landscape architecture in undergrad and turned down a job um, to continue my studies at RISD in 2009 is when I started, mm-hmm. or no, mm-hmm. 2008. <laughs> and mostly was interested in becoming a landscape architect, working at a firm, designing parks and plazas and public spaces. So lots of urban design. And I was drawn to this one professor, uh, Elizabeth Dean Herman, because of her work in India and took a studio class of hers as well as a seminar class that ran alongside of the studio. And the seminar was called Design for Development and it challenged artists and designers. So it was a graduate uh, seminar. It challenged artists and designers to work alongside communities to come up with creative solutions to systemic issues. So mm-hmm. that our like our original project prompt was to investigate textiles and work perhaps with an NGO partner that was kind of the bare bones of the prompt. So lots of room for design thinking and the design process to learn the needs of the communities that we were meeting. So In 2009, I took my first trip to India, to Kolkata, and spent 10 days there with the class and were introduced to a NGO called New Light. And it was in the middle of a red light district, the oldest red light district in a neighborhood called Kaligat. Mm -hmm. So very um, densely populated near a pilgrimage site, the Kali Temple, Hmm. And um, in order to get to the NGO, you walk directly through the red light district, narrow alleys, um, seeing little rooms that women would take clients. Um, The sanitation was pretty jarring (laughs) to Mm -hmm. see or lack of sanitation there is. um, So just immediately was drawn to this center because it was this amazing safe haven for children. Um, of sex workers and a safe place for them to go at night while their mothers were working because otherwise they would be sleeping under the beds while their moms were taking clients. So 
This was such hmm. an amazing program. We got to know the founder of the NGO, Ermi Basu, and she expressed void in their programming. So while they expressed um, or while they provided HIV AIDS awareness and um, certain programs for the women themselves, they didn't have an economic option or an alternative. So this is kind of where we started using our creative juices and coming up with different ideas while we were there and just asking a lot of questions. And then ultimately returned to Rhode Island 10 days later and then <laughs> Quite started, a on a, <laughs> started on a business plan that was not <laughs> business plan as a designer we didn't have you know I think I took one business class so you know a creatives business plan and you know while it varies quite a bit from what we do now it still has the heart and soul of um, our mission and that's kind of how it started so we sold notebooks and note cards at an art mm-hmm. sale for four hundred dollars sent it back to the NGO maybe like six months later and started training our first group of women. Is that about the time you got involved, Maggie? Yeah. So I was uh, wrapping up my undergraduate degree in architecture at University of Kentucky about the same time as Colleen was uh, taking her first, second trips to India. And I was starting to see her using her creativity and design to do good. And I was also taking a studio at the time um, that challenged us to use our creative problem solving um, and design principle training for social good and uh, storytelling. So all of this was kind of clicking for me at the same time. And I was like, wow, I actually don't like designing buildings. (laughs) 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 And this was uh, much more exciting to me. When first, what does Anshal mean? Does it have an Indian meaning? So it's a Hindi word. It's that edge of the sari, which is often the most decorative part, but um, Mm. it's wrapped around um, the heads of a lot of women or it hangs over, but they wrap their babies in it, Mm -hmm. but it means shelter and protection. So that's the metaphor we use for our our business. Love it. So all the, the, the design thinking and design theory and design courses and classes you took, I mean, they had to obviously help in some way, even though it wasn't architecture and, and urban planning and building, but the same principles I'm sure helped in creating what you have built now. Is that, is that correct? Or is that not? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think it left us a little fearless, um, mm-hmm. slightly naive, but um, <laughs> always confident we could figure a way out of things um, and design programs and design products and the structure of a nonprofit and a more right. that served our clients and our customers and our artisans and you know a holistic and positive way. So I think our design training really played a heavy role in our fearlessness. Was it less stressful to design clothes and sort of pillows rather than buildings? Is there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a it's a, it's it's a bit of a drastic change, but. Then again, not really, right? Because it's very different. Yeah. I mean, I think the actual, like, you know, product, yes, totally different, less, way less complicated (laughs) designing a quilt versus a building. Um, But I think what still ignites our passions for problem solving is the fact that we're running a company halfway around the world and um, employing 150 artisans at Mm -hmm. this point. Amazing. Yeah. Running a business. 
has its own complexity. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a that's a creative journey by itself, really. Yeah. Especially what you guys what you guys are doing with the nonprofit, which is, I think, another interesting model um, that we're seeing sort of um, nonprofits be super innovative. And that's the one thing when I first uh, found out was when looking and, and reading about the project. Uh, I didn't even really know it was a nonprofit until until. I read a lot and went deep into it. And I was like, oh, okay. Which was, you know, now I think people start now doing this. It probably would be a business. Um, but, you know, a decade ago, exactly. social enterprises weren't sort of as normalized as they are now. So I thought, I always thought that was an interesting model that that you took. Can you maybe explain why you did the nonprofit versus yeah. just making it a business? <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of, hit it um on the head in terms of yeah it was 10 years ago when this mm-hmm. idea began so we didn't have a lot of knowledge about social enterprise i mean i think the first case study we did was tom's and then we we're just right. getting started so <clears throat> probably more lack of understanding we just were like well this does a good thing so it should be a nonprofit, right 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 <laughs> um, And then as time progressed, and I think every year, someone, you know, at least we have several meetings where people challenge the idea of, should you still be a nonprofit or should you Mm -hmm. be for profit? We continue to stick to our origins, mainly because it keeps us really honest about our mission and we can be pretty savvy in that frame of reference and continue to just work to fulfill our mission and support women. I also think it's, you know, it keeps our artisans at the center of our project. Yeah. Um, you know, we believe in design thinking, we believe in empathy, um, keeping our artisans at the core of every decision we make is super important. And I think a lot of that plays into the fact of being a nonprofit. And I also think when Colleen started the company and the idea, it wasn't as, you know, design wasn't a a heavy player at that point. Right, right. Um, You know, we started with one very simple product, um, dreams of designing really amazing pieces that happened, you know, 10 years later. Sure, sure. It's always about, you know, the artisans. And I think that's why to this day, we still remain as a nonprofit. What was that maturation process like? Because you had said, you know, what it is now is sort of a shell, sort of what it was when it started. Mm-hmm. So maybe go through what it initially was, you know, those first couple years to now. I mean, you guys have ama- tons of amazing products, right? It's not just one thing. Sure. You know, there's multiple, uh, multiple things you can purchase that are amazingly high quality and beautifully designed. So, I mean, it's much more of a profound brand now than I'm sure it was in year yeah. one or two. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I think the first five years really. Okay. Um, mainly because in the I mean, we had no backing, no funding. We we're both just mm-hmm. coming out of school. So we're living at our parents' house starting <laughs> this off. So I think we had to be really patient just from a funding standpoint until we got some proof of impact. Yeah, impact really. But also we Early on, I think Maggie's first trip to India, we're like, okay, we're going to branch out and start doing like white napkins and Mm -hmm. put a zipper 
in a bag. But the artisan's capacity was just like not there at that point. And we had to be really patient for the first few years to develop their skill set and make sure that they were comfortable in what they were making and learn more about the constraints of the community that we were working with and develop products that they could really do. So that mainly looked like quilts that could be made um, from home, all hand-stitched, and then different scarves that we initially incorporated into the program. As their skill set improved and we began challenging them a little bit more, hired a tailor, we got a little bit more savvy in terms of the market and kind of the voids and what we could potentially do. And Yeah, slowly started introducing more complex designs. I think when we got a zipper and a pouch, we that was like the biggest celebration we've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) We did it. We did it. We won. Yeah. Yeah. So we just had, I mean, I think being designers and very project focused, it's you're not used to long term Mm -hmm. iterations. So that was an adjustment I think that we learned but what an exciting journey it's been but I also think it plays such a like being a nonprofit played such a heavy role in that because mm-hmm. we had the time and the luxury to develop their skills mm-hmm. and we didn't have extreme yeah. demands on us and we didn't you know it kept us true to really investing in this one community and a lot of our artisans have been with us for seven eight nine years and that impact and that long-term commitment has really changed their lives yeah, that's a, that's a really good point of being able to really be patient and systematically create a process without having to get meet sales, you know, every week or yeah, every exactly. month or every quarter. That sort of, I think, yeah, I think early on that probably helped immensely. That's <laughs> there times we wish we were further along than we were. The, uh, let's talk a little bit about the women, because I think uh, at the end of the day, um, they are what sort of binds everything together. It's obviously what, you know, you guys are passionate about and changing their lives is is a big deal, right? I think when we talk about, you know, social enterprises and, and businesses or nonprofits, and we say impacting lives, it, it, it sort of doesn't really tell the whole story because you can't really, really feel that unless you're there, like you, right? right. Talking to them and understanding their problems. And so early on, how was it to to really because they could be coming out of a pretty traumatic sort of lifestyle right into just like sewing you know like it's such a dramatic change for them mm-hmm. how was did, did you see sort of was it difficult for you to approach them and obviously having the ngo on board that probably helped yeah. you know just with the cultural barrier and sort of sort of some initial hurdles to get over so what was initially like to to get the women to and, and get them on board with your idea right i think It was very challenging. Luckily, as you mentioned, the NGO is, and I should mention too, we now work um, in Rajasthan. So we moved to a new location and that's where 100% of our artisans now work in a town called Ajmer. And we, you know, did an initial outreach through the NGO and they got interest pretty quickly through the program that they already had, which was, you know, safe sex protection and Mm -hmm. um, different health um, outreach. So that part was already, they had a built-in community. They were 
trusted by that community of women. So that was hugely important. So it's not me walking through the streets being like, hey, come sew with us. (laughs) So they, we did a lot of recruitment workshops. We did lots of trainings, but I think retention was a real struggle in the Mm -hmm. beginning because it is such a transition. Sex workers were used to making fast cash, even though they didn't get pocket much of it because of pimps or husbands or family members or whatever but it yeah it's such a different thing like making a quilt for two weeks (laughs) i'm waiting for the fun yeah but i think what once um there were a few committed women and they had capacity to get there they built a community of support a lot of these women saw each other as enemies in the beginning um Mm. because their competition really for clients but as time went on they built trust with each other they could share they didn't you know share their stories with each other and build that support system so that really started to work in our favor once we had a group of like probably eight or ten and then it kind of continued to blossom from there so once they became the breadwinners they started earning more over time and changing the viewpoints of their families just because they feel Mm -hmm. more empowered and dignified with the work that they're doing the community sees them differently outside community sees them differently that's when we started gaining traction but even still, we would work with someone and then they would disappear for two months and we wouldn't yeah. know what happened. But then we have always had an open door policy to welcome anyone back when the timing works for them better. So yes. just, a lot, again, a lot of patience in the, initially. Which was hard. I mean, especially yeah. when you're trying to start a business and selling product and relying on purchase orders that don't quite come when they're supposed to come or, you know, the right product or the quality control that you need. And so there were a lot of um, struggles in the beginning. Um, Was, was there any backlash might be a, a tough word, the wrong word, but like you said, when the women are making money, they're usually not making money a lot for themselves, right? They're making money and it's going to different sources. And then now all of a sudden, you know, not not really your intention, you know, you're just trying to help these women out. But then a byproduct is you might be taking money away from other people. Mm-hmm. Did they like, not, you know, for like, you know, for lack of a better term, like knocking on the ninjas door and be like, stop taking like the, the women away from me because that's how I make money or, or you know what I'm saying? There could be yeah. some weird dynamics that go with yeah. that. No, definitely. There was pushback. Um, yeah. There were kind of some dramatic stories um, where people would not, I mean, there was resistance. Um, And then a lot of those women that had more control over them by outside sources uh, didn't get to come back. But again, it it took time, you know, I mean... Sex working is obviously illegal in India and clients would hold it over the artisans' heads, mm. um, not telling them, you know, there's mother-in-laws that are really aggressive and controlling husbands that wouldn't let them leave, abusive husbands. So wide a range of situations these women are all facing. But again, like Colleen was talking about, over time, they really started to rely heavily on the onshore community of women mm-hmm. and they became empowered with the courage and love and support that they had around them. And yeah, I mean, it definitely took time and it still still does take time for certain women. I think the other component too is that it's not like when they join Anshal, they leave the sex trade. A lot of them continue to work mm. 
side. So it was a slow kind of pull away for a lot of them too, like reducing clients. Um, right. So as they were earning, it was like a slower transition, which probably made the adjustment much easier for some of the other people involved in their lives. And it just um, took probably a little while for them to make money from Anshaw, correct? Mm-hmm. To sort of, and then as Anshaw grew, they sort yeah. of could make a little bit more and then they can wean 100% sure. off of the sex trade. Yeah, but it's surprising we had... Even like a madam was one of our best recruiters at some point. So like, <laughs> wow, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, they saw value in it, even if it it wasn't taking their women away necessarily because they could do both. Um, so mm. it's that was an interesting twist that we never saw coming, but ended up working really well for us. Well, let's talk a little bit about the amazing positive angles of all this. Is sort of the employment and the training. And now sort of the real economic impact for the livelihoods and also probably the local community there as well. Um, I'm just looking at the site. So maybe some of these numbers have changed. But right now, Ann Charles trained and employed over 150 women. And they employ oh, seventy-seven. Seventy seven are to be updated. Let's <laughs> so we're we've actually we're in the process of updating our website. But, um, <laughs> so that launches in a few weeks. But we've now employed over five or trained and employed um, over five hundred women to date. Oh, wow. We currently employ hundred and fifty. Oh wow. So yeah. the numbers are pretty drastic. <laughs> and then if you think about all the family members and like touch that is a lot yeah that is definitely the children we're looking at close to 2,000 people I think one of the coolest parts um for me watching over the years the impact shifting you know when we first went we're like what are we doing is this even making a difference (laughs) (laughs) and then slowly you start to hear stories of women you know being able to buy fresh fruit um, being able to purchase a water filter for their home, being able to purchase a front door for their house. So you start to see that was the first like uh, financial impact, which is like basic necessities. And then, you know, as years went on, we started to hear their main financial um, investment was their children's education, you know, private education, ensuring that their children have a different life than they have had. And then our most recent trip, Colleen and I uh, got back from India about three weeks ago. Okay. And um, the most amazing part, we sat down and, you know, we do a lot of interviews and group conversations and they are all um, investing in themselves, uh, which I'm thrilled to hear. So they're purchasing new saris for themselves. They're all purchasing jewelry and a lot of them have Mm -hmm. new phones and it just, it's incredible to hear the evolution of impact Mm -hmm. and just through financial um, purchases. It's, it's really cool. It's kind of just empowerment, right? I think that's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's at its simplest term. I think when people um, start to provide for, for themselves and their family, there's certain, lack of a better word, there's certain swag that comes with that, right? Yeah. Like they, they're, they're just, they, you know, I mean, they, they, I think mothers are always sort of the caregiver, right? And the person that has sure. to be super strong and, and super just every day, just kind of, you know, can't kind of just let go right and just mm-hmm. it just sort of have fun right as simple of a term as that sounds i mean imagine you know being it being what their lives used to be right like they probably didn't have real fun too much which no. is tragic right it, it's it's just so devastating to think about but i think you know for them to just have like a day for themselves right and to do like pretty normal things is 
is a beautiful thing in general, right? Yeah. The, the problem I, I, I see it's tough maybe when you grow or not grow as fast is it, do you have to turn down women who want to be a part of this? Yes. I mean, in some ways we do a lot of training and they can work and make some pieces, but mm -hmm. we've really been committed to whatever number of women we have, making sure that whatever purchase orders and things that we're ordering have capacity for full-time employment. So it, yeah, it has been hard to kind of turn people away in some degree. Um, and but that's I mean, been our long-term goal yeah, is to continue to grow. The need is there. You know, we just met a group of about a hundred women who are looking for um, jobs in textile and mm -hmm. in the red light district and kind of, again, one of these recruiting sessions of just meeting new women. And I think we are slow. We are, I think, strategic when growing the business and partnering with different retailers. And, and I think the amazing part is kind of each, each level, each next like step or big partnership with retailers, we can bring on new artisans. Mm -hmm. And when we do, we know we have a larger number, which means that we're producing more. And so it is mm -hmm. small incremental growth. Um, but yeah, it can be hard. What's the program like when, I guess, again, this might have changed too, right? From the beginning of, you know, skills and, and design training and, and sort of showing people, like teaching them how to walk, right? In, in the sort of, you know, sewing environment to where it is now. Is the program and sort of training process been matured as well as sort of the business has, has been along for this, this decade or so? Yes, absolutely. So in some ways, <laughs> I mean, really at the end of the day, it's about doing a basic training. Like we chose this medium so that it doesn't take a crazy amount of skill initially to learn it. Um, mm -hmm. They can practice from home. You know, it's not weaving. It takes like, you don't have to become a master weaver or like a master tailor to be able to produce this. So at the core, that's still holds true for someone walking in the door initially is like we can pretty much give them something to work on right away and then practice at home. The bigger structure of the organization has changed quite a bit. So we have an artisan level, then senior artisans, then we have project assistants that are now our 13 and um, project managers and directors. So that has all shifted quite a bit to be um, much more formal and supportive for different women. So the project assistants are paid a salary and they come to the workshop during the week every day and like work nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, and they do all of the machine work. They do all of the cutting, um, the training for the new artisan. So like developing their skills and now it's pretty much like artisan run, which is super exciting. Interesting, yeah. Um, and to build that skill set has been very beautiful and exciting to watch, and also <laughs> challenging. But that was the goal: is like empower them to be leaders, and that whole crop of people have full healthcare and a uh, retirement. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I wanted to to get to as well with sort of the the other features that sort of come with, you know, being employed, you know, you get, I'm not sure how it works, but I imagine they get some type of like paycheck, right? And 
I'm not sure what the healthcare system's like, but you know, I'm sure there's different things that come and maybe it's tough. Cause like you guys can't be like financial educators, right. Or like healthcare educators, right. Or whatever. But I guess there's, is it treated like, like a job, like almost in America where you would now have access to some sort of healthcare or financial education of some sort? Like how, how does that part work? For our core team? Yes. There for the rest of our artisans, we also offer, um, as you know, part of our program, um, we offer educational workshops, and those vary from uh, financial education sessions, health camps. Yes, yeah, we do. Oh, we do yeah. quite a few health camps, yeah. um, yoga, stress relief, relief. Mm-hmm. So we always try and you know bring an education component to their experience within Anshal. We also are talking about hosting um, at like basic math edu- like workshops okay. soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as like the designs become more complicated, we need more women who can, you know, uh, a lot of our women are, um, you know, didn't make it past like second, third grade, right. a lot are also illiterate. And so counting is something, you know, they're learning how to use a, a measuring tape or an inch tape as they call it. And so, you know, teaching those basics is, uh, something they're all very excited about. Yeah. But I think we recognize pretty early on that, even though they were earning and there needed to be other support systems within this because they are coming from such traumatic backgrounds. It's like having a mentor there in the office to support them as well as different ways to learn about how to manage your money that's um, now yours, you know? And so all of the artisans have their own bank account and the 150 get paid with a paycheck or direct deposit directly. Mm -hmm them, which is um, hugely exciting when they all have their own account. Um, and that just happens but, probably through their phone, huh? Nowadays. Yeah, now mm-hmm. yeah, which is amazing. Like the evolution of just the 10 years I've been going to India, it's pretty mm-hmm. incredible, the technology. So that part has been really important to our program and I think longevity of the artisans and commitment, long-term commitment. <sighs> How has it been? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, just the 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 business side of it, right? Because again, you know, the study was sort of design, architecture, the uh, uh, sort of this, you know, not not business at all, right? Sort of, and, and now it's not only do you have to, you know, employ people, train, you know, you have to be a salesman a little bit, right? Like you have to be able to to sell products so you can keep employing these women. How has that been learning the the business side of things? Because, you know, you guys probably had to get educated yourselves on, on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Quite the journey and we learned something <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, I think the sales part of things, you know, when we started, it was just, you know, pop-ups with our friends and family or, you know, we started a website and we're like, we're going to make so much money. And then it doesn't work like that. Um, But yeah, I I think, you know, in 2016, we participated in our first trade show in New York and that was a game changer. I think Um, just learning how to work with bigger retailers, learning how to um, scale production and increase quality control and, um, work with, you know, we're in over 150 boutiques around the country and we still do a lot of pop-ups and mm-hmm. online sales and all of that financial end and goals. And, you know, <laughs> it's been a lot, but we have an amazing board of directors and incredible advisors who have 
um, helped us helped us learn mm-hmm. over the many years. I'd say going back to the beginning, I was really uncomfortable becoming the salesperson. Uh-huh. Sure, <laughs> and, like, sure. Promoting my product, like I much more uh, rather like design things or like be behind the scenes, <laughs> and I just thought naturally people would gravitate you know like a typical artist like well I'm gonna make this beautiful stuff and get discovered you know and it'll all work itself out but of course (laughs) that's not really how it works (laughs) so I think being 23 and 24 years old without a business background uh, was really challenging initially going into some of these meetings with a room full of men like Right. Being like, this just doesn't make sense, you know? <laughs> um, luckily, I'm like determined enough to be like, well, I'll show you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was um, definitely hard. But I got stronger each pitch and each meeting and knew in my gut that this could work. So I have enough grit, I guess, or <laughs> feistiness. I'm not sure what the word is, just to come back and you know, show them later that it can work. And each time I got, I learned more about the language, you know, I'm coming out of design school. So I learned how to talk a little bit more and business terminology and educated myself just slowly over time of like um, even a PL and a strategic plan and just like literally the basics of a budget. So I would, I mean, anyone, um, I Anytime, like someone's like, I'm thinking about starting this, but I don't have the background. I'm like, you can do it. You know, like you find the right people and advisors along the way that will be encouraging that have experience in that area and just slowly learn yourself. And I think if you have the right support system, you can get there. How is it? We don't have to get into like super details, but sort of online versus boutique stores, right? Like, because we, we, I think a lot of in, in the industry of apparel, there's a lot of sort of backlash on retail, right? And it's sort of going out of out of style, so to speak. But it, it sounds like maybe from the boutique perspective, it, it's actually sort of empowering to to brands like like you, right? So how is it? Is it mostly sales come from the boutique and, and wholesale orders? It's a little bit higher. The um, wholesale side of our business is slightly above our online, but. Mm-hmm. We also do pop-ups, which plays a heavy role into our revenue as well. Um, the boutiques are huge for us um, and our retail partners that like we sell through Anthropology and Madewell. And we had a custom collection with the Guggenheim Museum. And those types of partnerships, as well as selling in you know little towns, Mm-hmm. are incredibly, incredibly yeah. helpful for us because we are based in Louisville, Kentucky. And because we don't have, you know, a huge marketing budget and we don't have the ability to reach customers all around the country and around the world. So we love that opportunity and we love retail stores and, you know, we value their hard work and, and their incredible value as members of their communities. Where is it at in KC? Oh, uh, golden and pine. Golden and pine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's right by me, actually. Awesome. Yeah, so. they're great. Yeah, we love them. <laughs> so the I'll sort of I like to end on a little bit of the last. I mean, a decade is a long time you know, <laughs> to, to do right. I mean, to really do sort of one thing like yeah. there's a lot of knowledge, right? There's a lot of wisdom that comes from that. There's a lot of mistakes, a lot of successes. What has the last decade? 
been like just from a personal standpoint, right? And try to building something up that, you know, it's going to affect your lives just as much as it's going to affect the artisans, right? In the community in India. So how, how has just that journey been over the last decade? We both make a lot of sacrifices because we believe in this company so much. There is a challenge every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what keeps Colleen and I so intrigued by it all. Um, is that there's always something to learn and we're both value learning, maybe to a fault. <laughs> yeah, I think just as soon as we get comfortable with like, oh, this is how it's right. work now, you know, they knew a new thing comes up like, oh, we have this challenge in production. We got to mm-hmm. come up with new solutions for putting together calendars for content. Just every like, phase, yeah. every phase of the business brings, yeah. you know, its own set of challenges and yeah. But I think initially, I think we were two years in and then I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so that is like very much tied into my 10 year journey with Anshul Mm -hmm. too. So Maggie joined right after that, but Anshul was a part of my life and kind of beside projects, but then it also like helped me get through chemotherapy. And I think mostly knowing that the women were so important to me and they were struggling with something much more challenging than cancer. You know, I think a lot of where we kind of continue to go back and where this conversation has all centered around are the amazing women that we work with, that we've become to like know very well, that are sisters. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, at times it feels very psychotic. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> you know, like torture for 10 years, but also (laughs) what incredible rewards um, when we get to go visit new homes that they've built and see their children grow and go to college. I mean, and honestly, it is all worth it when you walk into the workshop and you see their incredible smiles. These women Mm -hmm. go through extreme trauma every single day and they walk into that workshop positive, happy, and ready to work. And they're Energy is, I, I, it, it, I don't know, it blows me away. And it's every time I struggle with something or we have face a new challenge, I just think of them and their strength. And, you know, it's really funny. We were all talking and every, everyone who is a part of this company sacrifices. Artisans in India, program directors in India, our staff here in Louisville, you know, donors, customers, everybody involved cares and loves it and supports. And that community that we've created over the past 10 years is incredible. And I think that's the best part of this company. Do you see, do you see individuals still donate like a normal nonprofit? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Really? So we, I think we're at this point, 75% funded through product sales and then mm-hmm still through individual donations um mostly because we've had a few really great grants over the years dining was one of them but ultimately it's been pretty small donors that have gotten us through so we Mm -hmm. don't have a huge bankroll and nobody's coming in and writing us like a twenty thousand dollar check on a regular basis so um it's a collective of just regular people, lots of millennials donating, you know, $20. Like we just did a campaign last month and 200 people, we collectively raised almost $20,000. So all little donations mostly, which is exciting. So those, that kind of money helps 
helps us grow, helps us hire new women, helps us improve infrastructure. And then the product sales really fund the rest of it. But I think so much of our beginnings is because of the Louisville community. Mm -hmm. And I think being here is, um, like I said, not easy at times, but also was incredible. So supportive, really generous, kind, loving, not not all the time, I would say, <laughs> young women starting a business, but I think that's anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think we're really lucky to be based in Louisville, Kentucky. Do y'all have a, a facility there where people can walk in and, and, and see stuff or buy like a little shop? yourself or is yeah, it just so we don't have a storefront but we have a studio space so mm-hmm. people make appointments to come shop and um pop in to visit and see production that's happening and here tours and, and yeah oh that's cool that's yeah. awesome so next time you drive through <laughs> yeah no definitely what okay i promise this is the last thing so <laughs> is there any any advice you would give to you know to maybe that you know 22 year old that is thinking of starting, whether it's a fashion company, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's an online store, whether it's, you know, something I'm sure you people probably have reached out, right, and sort of kicked the tires on, hey, I want to do this, I want to do this, right? It's there's always that idea stage, right? And then it's actually the execution part is which um, many people just don't get to. So what what sort of advice do you give when people reach out or you know, you have lunch with somebody and they kind of just want to pick your brain. What, what's sort of the, the overall uh, points that you that you hit? I think we remind them it's a, it's a real hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a long process, right? Like that, long you process. have to be patient. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think my my recommendation is always to ask for help and mm-hmm. collaborate. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our early successes were because we weren't afraid to put our pride aside and ask friends, family, any, you know, any, anyone within our network for help. Yeah. And I think when, when you're in the idea phase, it's so, I was really hesitant, you know, day one to share the concept with too many people because I didn't want them to, or I was scared of what people would think or say. And I think getting a thick skin and knowing that when people aren't supportive, you move them to the side, you know, but you continue to have those conversations and put yourself out there and go to networking events, even though you feel like you don't know anything. Odds are most of the people in the room are also just trying to figure stuff out and just here <laughs> as you. And that's what I discovered, you know, moving back home and trying to go to networking events. And I'm the youngest person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have value. That idea is important. You have to continue to just talk it, talk about it, put it out in the world and um, have a thick skin and be patient. <laughs> well, Colleen and Maggie, thank you so much. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been a really educational, I, I love this, this format because I get educated so much and I learned so much in each yeah. one of these. So just Obviously, great luck moving forward. And it's an inspiration to see, you know, what an idea can do, right? And and also just changing, really changing the course of your life, right? Going from one thing you think you were going to do um, and spending years of your life trying to perfect <laughs> that in college, right? <laughs> yeah. And then totally being like, you know what, this is just like, there's something that's pulling me to it. And I think there's so much, so much value and wisdom in that. And in just following your path. And that's sort of being young, right? We can make those, 
decisions yeah. without mm-hmm. without thinking about <laughs> consequences or something, right? Could yeah. you imagine doing that now? Like if you were yeah. if you were an architect for ten years, like this, you know, there's just you're gonna be so much more wiser. Like you would never probably take a leap like that. So yeah. I think that's that's something that that I took out of it. I hope people do, especially young people. It's the advantages that they have now with with sort of technology and be able to create us a, a e-commerce store right in like a week you know i mean exactly. it's it, it's such it's such an advantage that uh you know i hope others um find inspiration in in what what y'all talked about it and really took the leap themselves and i mean look at the impact behind it you know you y'all are just starting right i mean the the impact of lives over the next 30 years is going to be something incredible um so kudos Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, Thanks for all great. the work you do. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And your early support as well. Yeah. That's really great. <laughs>